are again on the topic of grace. Perhaps uh, you remember that we started this series with a sermon on grace, so maybe you're asking, why are we back here again on grace? Uh, well, I don't, one, I don't believe we can have uh, too much, too many sermons on grace. I believe this is one of the most cross-cultural uh, around the world. This is the most cross-cultural idea of our faith. So I've entitled it actually Grace Unknown because I believe that this is the most foreign, the most difficult, and yet it's the most important. So I, I pray that today, at, by the end of this sermon, for all of us, it will be grace known, grace understood. Also want to remind you of our outline. You can go to the next slide. Um, we're kind of coming to the end of this section in New Life in Christ where we've just been just being poured on with just grace and, and the manifestation of grace and what that looks like in the life of the, the believer and in, in the church itself. And uh, soon we'll be making a transition to the new society uh, in Christ next week. So this is kind of the summary. This is the summary of, of really all that's gone on before. All right, so I'm going to be engaging some of you in the chat after we have a, a scripture reading. So if you could... Uh, Please uh, get ready. I have my phone here. Hopefully, uh, I'm going to be able to, uh, yeah, see your responses and also want to engage with some of you, okay? So uh, please be ready to help me. Now, we have some scripture readers. I'm not going to be the scripture reader today. We have some scripture readers online uh, from our Sunday school. Can we go ahead and get uh, them on the screen? Friends, if you're there, uh, if you could get ready to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Today's scripture reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Listen to the word of the Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, children. Uh, thank you, Doris, for, for helping them uh, set that up. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our Father, Lord, we thank you again for your word. We know that it is truth, and so we pray, as Jesus prayed, sanctify us. By your truth, mature us, sharpen us, mold us, shape us, cleanse us, that we might have the mind of Christ, that we might live in light of what you have done for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, friends, I have some translation work that I need from you. Pete, if you could go to the next slide. Uh, our first word here, Bahasa word, maybe it's familiar to you, Cornea. Um, what does this word mean? You can engage me in the chat. I have uh, the chat here on my phone. Um, some of you may want to share with me. What does this word mean? How would you describe it? How would you define it? 
going to have to speak loud today. We're going to have to be bold. Friends in the chat, it's a little easier for you. You don't have to shout. <laughs> Anyone know? How's our Bahasa? Oh, okay. Blessing. I heard blessing. I heard gift from uh, Vivian. Thank you. I heard gift from Luke. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, wonderful. Um, thank you for that. I have one more coming, so you're not quite done yet. Um, so I began to ask my friend, oh, sorry, go back. Uh, I actually sat down with uh, one of my Malay friends, and I asked him, what the meaning of this word is. This word is the word that's used um, in the Akitab uh, Borneo Malay translation uh, for our passage of the word grace. So as I interacted with my friend, um, we were there with my whole family. My kids were there and my wife was there. And his thought was this, that it is a reward for doing good. It is the good that we give, that we get after giving to God. Uh, friends, I think grace is unknown. I think grace is unknown. If you are surrounded in a worldview, in a, in a, in a pattern of thinking, even when you come to words like this, which are supposed to represent actually something very different from a reward, a reward is what comes to mind. I give, and then grace is what I get from my giving. But we know this is not grace. This is not grace. And it was wonderful to be able to explain what, what grace is is, according to the Bible, what it's actually saying. All right, we have another word uh, for you. Uh, for those who can read Chinese, I know that everyone cannot. Um, those of you who can, and even I know some of our youth and children, uh, can you please translate this for me, okay? I need some help. What is the, or first tell me the word, first tell me the word, say the word, and then can translate. Okay, yes, I heard it, yes, thank you. Um, Pao Ying, yes, I, I, I might have to, you guys can tutor me afterwards, see, yeah, this is very hard for me, uh, but uh, thank you for, for helping me. Uh, okay, yeah, so interestingly enough, in the, in the chat, someone has said that this word means karma, yeah, that's, that is, that is very interesting, right? Um, you get back what you put in, right, is, is the general idea. This is what I've been told by, by my Chinese friends, obviously. Um, not so good in Chinese, but this is what I've, been, what I've been told. Again, friends, grace unknown. If this is the kind of system in which you're going about your life, thinking about things, what goes around comes around, everything is about this, what goes around comes around. So when someone comes to the Bible, when someone comes to think about salvation, these concepts get driven in, they get mixed in 
And we begin to actually interpret and think about the faith in this way. Think about salvation. I mean, think about it. How, how did, you, know, you ask anybody, how did you become successful? Well, they say, I worked hard. How did you do good on this test? Well, I worked hard. Um, how did you get to this university? I worked hard. Um, all that is true. That, all that is true, right? We do know that it's biblical that what you reap, you will also sow. What one sows, you will also reap, excuse me. Um, but then we come to the question, how did you become a Christian? And it is very unnatural for us to make the switch, to make the adjustment. It's very easy for us deep down to be thinking, I worked hard. Or I am currently working hard. Praying, giving, coming to church, serving. What about those in the church? Many are still thinking, surely God will let me into his heaven because my parents are so good. Children, this is, this is a thought that could come into your mind. Or you think, you know, I have turned away from my sin and I'm seeking to obey him every day. I have worked hard. Now, the test often comes in the practical way in which we live out our lives the way that we treat one another, the way that we live in relationship with our spouse, our children, and with others, most often our way of life can also be like this. If you do not earn my respect, if you do not earn my love, you will not get it. You will not get it. If you have not worked hard, then no grace becomes our motto. It becomes our, our lifestyle. But we know as Christians, we know in our heads that none of this actually reflects properly an understanding of God's grace. Children, we've talked about it uh, repeatedly that grace is unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. And yet God has given us his smile. God has given us his richest of blessings in Christ Jesus. Demerited favor, as I have emphasized, we actually deserve the opposite. But yet we got good. This, this can be quite a, a challenge for us to wrap our minds around. When we look at the Bible, we see that we have been lazy. Lazy toward God. And this is really hard to, to, to face. We've been lazy toward God. Remember actually the beginning of our, of our passage in chapter 2. says that we're dead in sin. We're, we're not productive. We are good for absolutely nothing. We are fruitless. And often, even our good works can be filled with our own selfish gain. They could be filled with other motives, other reasons for doing good. And often, we are not doing good for His glory. We're not doing good out of faith. And this is the heart of sin, friends. So my question is, how can what is most central to the faith be most understood in the outside world, most, most misunderstood? in the outside world. And even within the church, 
How can it be that grace seems to be the least thing that is being lived out in the lives of Christians? I'm convinced that we cannot have an overdose of grace. We cannot have enough of it. We can certainly twist it. That is what the antinomians do. They, they minimize God's standard. But properly understood, you cannot get enough of true grace. And friends, if we want to be the church that we're called to be, which is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must understand grace in a deep way. We must know it in an intimate way. And we must live it out. Live in light of that grace. So this is God's heart for the church in Ephesus. This is what he wants them to be very clear about. And he wants us to be very clear today. Salvation is all by grace. Therefore, let us live to the praise of his glory. Two, two questions are answered in this text. This is very simple. Question number one, how did we receive salvation? Next slide. How did we receive salvation? By grace, through faith, not works. Very basic. By grace, through faith, not works. Now, what effect did this grace have on us? What effect did this grace have on us? Well, our text is going to teach us boasting in God and good works in Christ. I put it in the positive focuses in the negative, but I'll explain more, more later. Um, so the Bible, one thing that it's, it's very uh, commonly bringing up to the reader is saying, how did you get where you are? Over and over again through the Old Testament, God is saying to Israel, how did you get here? How did you get out of slavery? How did you get into the promised land? And again and again, the answer is that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the house of slavery, out of bondage. And so too, when we come to the new covenant, we ask, how did we get here? How did we get to this place where we are a people who are moved to worship Him, moved to pray and, and, and live for Him? How did I receive this salvation that I have? Well, this is one of the most important questions because it's going to shape how we live our entire life. Again, I remind you of the context of this passage that teaches us that we're saved from this deadness right in our relation to God. We're saved from our following of our own sinful flesh. We're saved from following the world and the devil. And ultimately, we saw that we're saved from God's righteous anger that we deserve because of our sin. We're saved from the punishment. We're saved, you could say, from the power and the penalty of sin. This is the backdrop of verses 1 to 3. Then previously, we heard verse 4 to 7 on Easter, and we were reminded that God raised us up together with Christ. We have now been granted the power of God to know Him. We have been made alive, and now our wills have been moved to follow after Him. 
Now, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church. It doesn't matter if you don't remember your rebellion. Children, (laughs) you may not remember a day when you didn't know and love Jesus, when you didn't believe on him. That's okay. It doesn't actually matter. But but even the covenant child is saying to themselves, they're very clear, their faith is telling them, I am a rebel if it were not for God's grace. I'm dead, I'm lost, I'm hopeless, if left to myself. Doesn't matter how far you've came in your Christian life. Many of you are known as godly individuals, servants at your workplaces. You're known as Christians. But faith, our faith trains us and teaches us to say, I would be a rebel if left to myself. If it were not for the grace of Christ, I would be the most miserable of all sinners. The nature of true faith is that it's like a laser pointer and it's pointing to something else, to someone else, to Jesus himself. Often I've sought to define faith as empty hands receiving a gift, right? The hands are empty and they're, they're receiving. That is, that is what faith is. So we're saved by grace. God is doing this saving So how are you saved, children? If someone asks you, how how are you? Why are you a Christian? I hope your answer, yes, amen, is grace. I hope your answer is, God is the reason I'm a Christian. God is the one who has saved me. He showed me more kindness than I deserve. So then we go to the, the next part, through faith, right? Saved by his grace, through faith. Now, again, we need to understand that faith is often being contrasted with a work, with works. Because faith, the very nature of faith, is again pointing to the works of another, it's pointing to Christ. It's saying, There's nothing in me, and faith is pointing the finger elsewhere and is say, saying, This is what God has done. He is the one in whom makes me worthy. So it's receive, faith is the way, it's the instrument by which we receive the gift. Now, there's an important question to ask of the text. What is the this in the second phrase of verse 8? Do you see that? And this is not your own doing. Well, um, there's actually a, a, a lot of people who have wrestled over this, um, is it saying, um, is it talking about your faith is not your own doing or, your, or is it talking about salvation is not your own doing? Well, I think, it's, I think it's quite simple because either way you take it, whether it's faith is not your own doing and it's a gift or, or whether you're talking about salvation is the focus of the gift, either way it leaves no room for boasting, so we need to understand, again, the nature of faith doesn't leave any room for, for an emphasis on self. Look at what I have done. And the Reformed Christian is seeking to emphasize this no room for boasting. It's very concerned about that, that not even one's faith is a grounds for boasting. I believe either way you take it, I believe you have to view it that way. There's no grounds 
for boasting. Even though I've taught you very much, I believe that faith is a gift and it's taught in the scriptures. And I believe here it's included in the package. It's a both and faith and salvation is a gift. But we need to see again how to be clear that faith does not become something that we begin to boast about. We need to see how it's actually the opposite of works. Look at uh, on the screen, I believe I have it, Galatians 2.16. Look at this with me. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Okay, justified is made right, declared righteous before God. It's not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the contrast. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I mean, how many times, I mean, Paul says it, like just packs it in over and over and over again because he's very concerned. He knows how easy it is for us to get this mixed up, for us to boast. I appreciate the way that uh, Rodney described it as he was teaching his Galatians class on this passage. He explained it like this. He said that there is first mentioned in Galatians 2.16, a person is mentioned in the abstract, right? And then it moves to we applied to a specific group and then to no one. It's universalized. So the point here is that it's indicating the comprehensiveness of this claim. There are no exceptions. Whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, whether you grew up in the church or not, works, good works, is an opposition. Its opposite is faith. Because faith says all was Christ. Faith says all was Christ. The essence of faith is to point to grace. It's to point to Christ. Okay, I think you're, I think you're getting me. I think you're following along. Um, I want to be like Paul and just say this over and over and over again because uh, it's, it's so important. Ephesians is highlighting the work of God even while we were dead in our sins. So that's the context by which we come to this point. But when our good works toward God become the center, we begin to get off track, right? We begin to, to focus on our own merit. And this is where we get into all kinds of trouble, and we even do this with faith. I, I, I sometimes hear Christians talk about my faith, and it's, it almost sounds like the my is the, is the leading factor of their Christian life. This should not be, friends. Um, let's turn to Matthew 20 for an illustration. Um, you know, I thought about, you know, how, how do we do this? How do we think about grace in the workplace and various things like this? Um, let me just remind you that as we look at this scripture, as you turn to Matthew chapter 20, we need to be careful not to let our experience distort our thinking when we come to the scriptures. I recognize in Malaysia, when we talk about the workplace, um, there's a lot of injustice that, that happens from the top downward. Um, so as we look at this, let's remember that the emphasis here is on a just master, on a just boss. Uh, I, I'm just gonna, we're just going to read all of it because I think it illustrates exactly what is being said here. 
Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, okay, this is like a normal wage, a normal daily wage that's given, right? He sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said, you go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, well, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foremen, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give you, excuse me, I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my generosity? Grace is very counterintuitive to our natural way of thinking. God is not keeping tabs with a merit-based system as we're so prone to think in our societies. There is a place for merit-based systems in our society. Please don't misunderstand me for that. But here, God does above and beyond. He is generous. And in his generosity, others are jealous. Now, if we are fixated on a merit-based life, we will find ourselves constantly jealous. We will find ourselves constantly begrudging the very gifts that we receive. Is your life grace-based or is your life merit-based? Is grace being pushed out in the demand for justice? Yes, we're called to seek for justice. But is grace being pushed out more and more of our lives in this fixation on fairness and and especially my fairness 
and my people's fairness. Everything, everything we have, friends, is a gift and most significantly salvation. And we need to meditate again and again and again on the richness of God's grace and the danger that actually self-religion can play in our lives, the danger of getting caught up in society's rules and ways of thinking that could actually distort our understanding of God himself. We must learn to say, like the Apostle Paul, I count all my righteousness as, as dung, as filthy rags, as nothing compared to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, having him. So some of you today, you may have grown up in the church, but you may recognize even now that grace has been so minimized in your life, this is an opportunity for you to come to Jesus again and to repent. Say, God, I want to acknowledge your complete and total grace in my life. I want to live in light of that grace. It is by grace you have been saved. Not my hard work, not my good grades, not my moral ability, not my, not my status, not my honor, not, not, either, not even others' view of me is what makes me right before God. Salvation is completely a gift. I pray, friends, that grace is not unknown to us in this church. I pray that it begins to to filter down deep into our hearts and begins to affect the way that we see the world. How did we receive salvation? Now, next question raised in our text is, what effect did this grace have on us? We should remember that grace always takes a certain shape. Just like a Malaysian who goes to China, I hear that those in China can always tell that they're not from China. Uh, This is what my friends tell me. And in 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 a similar way, the Christian enters into the world and they can tell that something is different, that grace is is actually moving and driving this person. But there's two particular things that accents that are going to be discerned and understood about the Christian as someone looks into their life. First, they're going to see that they're boasting in God. If you could go to the next slide. So two accents, boasting in God and good works in Christ. Grace is going to impact the heart, and that's actually going to impact the way you speak, and it's going to impact your hands. It's going to impact what you do. Verse, verse 9 So start with, there is clarity that we have no reason for boasting. Zero. Zero room for honoring ourselves. Now here's the thing. If we're evaluating ourselves just based on our peers or based on those in our society, I tell you, you have lots of room to boast, friends. (laughs) There's always someone who's who's weaker morally or, you, you know, there's always... This is actually easy to do to make yourself feel good. But the Apostle Paul is trying to lead us to a life that is free from all boasting. And the only way that it happens is if we're looking and comparing ourselves to God. There, it is then we will see that we are sinful. It is there that our mouth is, is made silent. It's, it's shut. 
right? Our mouth gets closed as we stand before God and we see that it is only by grace. But here's the thing. We have so many subtle boasts, don't we? Um, it's so easy for us to think negatively of others. You know, we, well, one, we read the newspaper and we're like, man, these people, <laughs> what is wrong with them? Um, I mean, just kind of, it's easy for us to do. It's very natural for us to think, you know, I would never do that. <laughs> um, and so just even on a daily basis, the kind of, the, the kind of heart of boasting is, is there, right? We, we, we have a friend who's, you know, you know, like, man, this person is always having these problems. This, what's wrong with this, this guy, you know? What's that one, you know? He's, he's you know, so off, right? Social media, uh, a very easy way to, can be very tempting to put your life on display in order to boast. It's not necessarily wrong to post on social media, but we need to be aware of those subtle things that are happening in our hearts. Now, I think when we're, in, when we're with non-believers, it's probably the most easy moments and so, sometimes to boast, because we think, you know, they just, they don't get it. And we begin to feel superior deep down. And here's the hard part is unbelievers can smell arrogance faster than I, I think anyone. They're very aware. They've experienced it among Christians. But we know, we believe in grace. We know that this should not be a part of our lives. So we have these reasons for not boasting. They're going to be reinforced in verse 10. Could I have the next slide? This is, this is what I would say the summary of verse 10 is. We are the work of God. Our works are in Christ, and our works are prepared for us. Okay, next, next slide. This is, this is verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I believe verse 9 and verse 10 will, should go together and really help us. Verse 10 actually feeds into the rationale also for not boasting. Not only grace is a reason for not boasting, but we should look at this more positively, right? We have reason to boast about God. Paul will do this elsewhere, that there is a kind of holy bragging that the Christian is called to. Because as you look at verse 10, everything is about the work of God. The best thing about the Christian is what God has done, right? So we have an opportunity in our daily lives. Children, when your teacher sees that you're not complaining and grumbling about more homework like the rest of the students, you know, your teacher may come to you and ask you, wow, you know, I notice you don't complain. How is it that you, you do that? What is that about you? What a great opportunity for you to say, I have an awesome God. I have an awesome God. I have nothing to complain about. Wouldn't that be amazing, children? Some of you in your workplace, um, people know that you've been mistreated. People know that, that things have been very hard in your life, that you faced a lot of suffering and yet you are persevering on, and they begin to ask you, how is this? 
How is this that you continue to still do good and even still respect your boss, even the way he's treated you? And what a moment. What a moment. If grace is filtered into your heart, you know know what's going to come out? My God has shown tremendous grace to me. I didn't deserve the treatment my God has given to me. He has loved me. How amazing, how beautiful would that be? I love hearing it in our, in our church as Uncle Monica and Auntie Linda, you know, as we're, we're seeking to honor them and, and really praise them for, uh, for 50 years of marriage. And again and again, what do we hear from them? All praise goes to God. It was his grace. Or think about Pastor Wong just recently as we were talking about the building. You know, we're thinking, how in the world Pastor Wong has led two fundraising, massive fundraising events, both in Batu Pahad and here in Subang. How is it, Pastor Wong? Didn't you hear it? Our God is amazing. Our God is amazing. That was his message to us. That was the short answer. Do you brag about God, friends? Do you brag about God? What you brag about will show what you love. We brag about our children because we love our children. We brag about our grandchildren because we love our grandchildren. Do you brag about God's work in your life? Now, let me warn you, if, if you have 0.1% of credit still given to yourself and your salvation. It's gonna, it's gonna deeply impact your life. Pelagius, some of you may know him in in church history, he sought to preserve this, this part of man that wasn't affected by sin. And the church declared him a heretic, actually. Because he was promoting self-religion and minimizing the gospel of God's grace. And now there's been various forms of that uh, that have crept in, uh, especially during the time of the Reformation, and still popular today. And we must beware to not even have this tiniest little grain of rice of boasting in our hearts. We need to think about it. What are we proud of as a Christian? What are we proud of? Is it our Christian heritage? This is a wonderful thing. But do I have pride as a result of this? Do I think of myself as better than others? And if so, we need to repent. Is it our morals? Is it our hardworking nature? If we are constantly thinking and saying, wow, I thank God that I'm not like them. We have been deceived by pride, and we need to repent. Is it good doctrine? Does this make you feel better than others? If so, we need to repent. Is it our good works, which is really the the focus? Many of you are devoting yourself to benefit society, and you're actually not getting anything back from it. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. But oh, that it would not create pride in us. Oh, that we would not respond to that in anti-grace, but rather would see that everything that we've been given is more than we deserve. So now we focus more on, on good works. 
good works. It affects our mouth, but it also, this grace, will be shown through fruitful good deeds. If we could go back to the, the okay, good, we're, we're on this, this slide here. We're going to focus on verse 10 a little more. The passage is emphasizing that we're God's workmanship. Like, we've been created. We are his beautiful craft. We're his masterpiece that he has made. God works in us. This is the beautiful thing of the Christian. Then particularly notice the work of God here connected to the work of creation. That we are created in Jesus Christ for good works. This is not the only reason we've brought, been brought into union uh, with Christ. But here we see that it is one of the ways in which we share in this intimate union is that we live doing good to others. And when we live doing good to others, actually we have an opportunity to experience that communion. I actually had someone ask me uh, this week, how, you know, a parent was talking about a, a child, you know, how do I commune with God, a God that I cannot see? Well, one answer is we do tangible good works in our society, in our workplaces, in our families, tangible good works. And in doing so, we are doing it in an intimate union and connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're doing it by his strength. We're doing it modeling him. We're doing it in his strength and we're doing it for his glory. Now, um, some of those who work uh, in, in Malaysia from my denomination, when we have uh, short-term teams come, from the U.S., uh, one question that we often ask is, is there any difference from the Christian giving a bowl of rice to the poor than, say, a, a, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or a Hindu? What do you think? Is there any difference from a Christian giving to the poor than someone who is outside of Christ? Our passage is telling us, yes. Yes, there is something fundamentally different because we are giving in union with Christ. Just as Jesus said, it's as if you're doing it to me. There's this intimate connection between your good works and your union with him. It is the fruit of your connection to being in Christ. Some of you know this when when you think of uh, maybe someone, maybe a teacher, or maybe even someone here at church comes up to you and says, hey, your children are, are, are so well behaved. They were so kind, or they, they, were so, they were working so hard. Why were they telling you that, though? Because you are intimately connected to that child. And so they come to you, and actually as a way to, to honor you, they know that you have this bond and you have been training them. And so they connect with you. So too for the Christian. As we labor, we do it, and people are going to see Christ, actually. It's different. It's different. From, a, from a, a, a secular point of view, yeah, you could say there's nothing different. But in Christ he is uniquely honored as we do good works in his 
name. So children, when you do your homework, when you have those hard tests that are coming, let it be for the glory of God. Center your mind on communing with God for this good work. Pray before you do that test and say, God, let me do it in such a way that I'm, I'm actually enjoying my relationship with you. I'm working out of your strength. You created me to be able to think and to do these things. Do it in enjoyment of him for his pleasure. I think that would be incredibly beautiful. Husbands, do the dishes, change diapers, and do it in Christ. Connect it to your communion with him. I believe you'll be given joy even as you serve in him, through him, for him. Mothers, we know you work the hardest. <laughs> we all know it. Society knows it. Don't have to be a believer in Christ to know it. You work the hardest. And even as you work, my prayer for you, and uh, I believe the Apostle Paul's desire for you in this passage is that you would not burn out. It's very easy for mothers to burn out, to long, to crave more breaks, more breaks, more breaks, more breaks. Please, when am I ever going to get a break? But sisters in Christ, if you know that your good works are being done in Christ, in union with him, that even in your caring for your children, the most menial tasks around the house are all being done for him and his glory. And that God actually has uniquely crafted you and gifted you for this service. I believe you will be more strengthened to serve him for the long haul. May this be the gift that you give yourself to again fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace to you and joyfully give grace. Lastly, that's what we see, that we were prepared for good works. How hopeful is this? How hopeful is this, right? That our labor is not in vain, that God has hardwired us to be doing what we're doing. Some of you are very weary in your calling, serving the Lord in the, in the hospital, serving people um, as a lawyer, banker, all kinds of different professions. And we can see, no, God, this isn't, this isn't just random. This isn't, no, God has prepared good works for me. So each day we wake up and we say, God, what good work might I do for you today that might give praise to your glorious goodness and grace? I believe this would refuel us in our, in our labors. As we look to God's grace, we say, all my works have been created by the power of God. I've been crafted by him. And now I do all of this in response to his grace. I believe this would give us incredible purpose, incredible meaning, friends, as we live in this life. How is grace shaping the way you think about your life? Your family, your work, your church. All of our life could be summed up with this one word, grace. So we need to know it. Children, you need to know it. Your parents ask you after the sermon, what is grace? I hope you can tell them. And if, and if you still can't tell them, humbly ask them, mom, dad, can you help me again? Remember what this word grace is? Can you pray that I might know God's grace? God's 
undeserved smile and delight in you. Oh, if we were to know it, our hearts would melt and we would live for his glory and his glory alone. We'd be so free from the the many reward merit-based thinking that we get so caught up in. Be free to just respond to his love and to love him. Salvation, a gift from God, the fruit of salvation, a gift from God. Brothers and sisters, you are here today. You are where you are 100% because of his grace. He did it all. Let us continue to live to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we uh, want to thank you for these very basic and elementary truths. But Father, we recognize, Lord, how slow of heart we are to really know in a deep way your grace, to really live in light of the fact that all we have is, is yours. Father, that we are not Christians because of anything in ourselves, holy by your grace. Father, for this we rejoice. Father, we rejoice that, that um, you have done better for us than we deserved. Lord, we could not have ever merited your love. The deadness of our sin, the coldness of our heart, the idolatry that we were lost in. And yet, Father, you came, you sought us, you brought us to yourself, you gave us new life, you have saved us from the penalty and the, and the punishment of sin, the, the power of reigning sin. For this we give you praise. Lord, would you make it our great delight to live in this world eager to do good works for the glory of your name. We pray all this in Christ's name.